0: This morning I witnessed a number of visitors come in and we want you to know how honored we are to have you with us today as we attempt to try to worship God together. And uh, if we didn't get a chance to speak to you as you came in, please give us a moment or two afterward to let you know how much we appreciate <clears throat> your being here with us today. We've been studying from the book of Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 through 17 And we've been studying about the Ten Commandments that were given to the children of Israel. For just a few moments, let me introduce to you these Ten Commandments again. They embody the major areas of man's relationship to God and man's relationship to man. In reality, you and I have to realize that we have obligations to God. He is our Creator. He is the one who decides where we will spend eternity. And for all those reasons among many more, we ought to try to please our God. But there's also the things that are our relationships to our fellow man. How do I treat you? How do you treat me? How do we treat others? You know, as you look at the Bible, Jesus summarized this to a man who was asking about the great question. In verse 26, he's 36, he says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second, this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like to it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If I were to have two hooks up here, and you were to take every law that is written, either in the Old Testament or the New Testament, they could be placed on one of those two hooks. Either how I relate to God or how I relate to my fellow man. When you concentrate on those last six of the Ten Commandments, They relate to how you and I interact with one another. And Jesus in talking about fulfilling the law said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. We sometimes call this the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. But you think about how you want people to treat you. How you want them to act toward you. And that's the way we ought to treat other people. But Jesus again says, this is the law and the prophets. In James chapter 2 and verse 8. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. If I treat you like you ought to be treated, like you want to be treated, if I love you like I love myself, then I am fulfilling that royal law. In Romans 13 and verse 9, I think the way Paul expresses it there just really sums up what we have been trying to say. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, love and that expressed toward another person means that we treat them as we ought to treat them. It means not doing certain things and it means doing other things. Well, this lesson is going to be our final lesson in the Ten Commandments. We're going to look at that Tenth Commandment, the one that Brother Josh read to you from Exodus 20.17 in just a few moments. We're going to do, as we have done in our previous lessons, we're going to do, first of all, an understanding of the meaning of what it says. And then we're going to look at the message, the application of it. How you and I must deal with this in our personal lives. You shall not. As I have sought to stress throughout all of these Ten Commandments, these laws were not given to us per se. Because if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, Moses has led the children of Israel through the wilderness wandering, They are now in the mountains of Moab, ready to cross over into the promised land. And as they're ready to cross over, Moses is going to give them a restatement of the same thing that God had given them at Mount Horeb. And here's what he says. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers But with us, those who are here today, all of us who are alive, what he's trying to say is is that this specific covenant, the Ten Commandments, was given to the children of Israel, the Jewish people, at Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb. It wasn't given to those before, nor is it given to other races. And someone says, well then, why are we studying this? It's because these commandments have been repeated in the New Testament as we will observe. But understand, as we look through the Ten Commandments, these were given to the children of Israel. You shall not. That's a prohibition. Something you're not supposed to do. In God's laws, there are positive ones. These are things you must do. And then there are negative laws, things that you must not do. covet. We don't use the word covet very frequently in our language today. In fact, we use some synonyms, but we rarely use that word. One of the best definitions I found was in the word biblical commentary, and Mr. Durham said it means desire, yearn for, covet, lust after, someone or something specifically for one's use or gratification. In other words, it's all about what I want out of something or I want out of someone. And it is that burning desire for just a few moments, and I don't intend to belabor this, I just want to mention it basically, (laughs) that there are three Hebrew words and four Greek words that are used that are all translated covet in our Bibles and our translations. Each one of them has a little subtle meaning, a little bit different from the other, but they're all related. And if you take the Hebrew words and put them together, you come out with the words meaning unjust gain and desire. Unjust in the sense it's not something that I'm supposed to have, there are some things that I have a right to. There are other things that I do not have a right to. When you look at the term covet in the Old Testament usage, it frequently refers to that which I'm not supposed to have. And yet it is something that I may desire, something that I want. When you come to the New Testament Greek words, they mean greediness, lust, jealousy, desire. Greediness is this desire for more things. Obviously, understand, lust is that attraction. Jealousy means I want to take it away from you so that I can have it. And then the word desire again. Let me illustrate it to you, I think, in two verses, which bring the point out I'm trying to make. In Genesis 2 and verse 9... Eve is in the Garden of Eden along with Adam. And we learn in chapter 2, verse 9, and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of the life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Notice this idea, pleasant to the sight. That's one of those words, something that is desirable, something that you want get to chapter 3 and verse 6, looking at Mother Eve. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. That word desirable is another emphasis of that. Here was a tree to which she had no right to. Yet she saw it, she wanted it, She desired it. In fact, there was a reason why she desired it. She thought, if I get that fruit, I'll be like God. I'll know good and evil. You realize that when you covet things, you're looking for things that you ought not to have and you have that burning desire for them. Then you're neighbors. And what Moses will reflect is God's Word as he enumerates several things that you and I might would want. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, the structure in which he lives. I can visualize a fellow seeing the tent of someone else. Maybe his tent is starting to grow old and maybe it's having to be patched here and there. And here's your neighbor down the way and he has got a new tent Made out of new animal skins. And you say, Oh, I, I wish I had his house. You should not covet your neighbor's wife. You know what happens to those of us as we age? Gravity begins to take effect. The, law of second, the, the second law of thermodynamics starts taking effect. Everything's wearing out. We get old. We don't have the bodies that we once had when we were teenagers, when we were young adults. Everything begins to feel old. And you know what happens to many people? They look and they see a younger woman or a younger man and they say, you know what, that looks more pleasurable to me and I think I would like to have that. You should not covet your neighbor's servants, men's servants, maid servants. We all know there's some employees that are better than others. You know, there's some who go out there and they work real hard, and the time they get there, they've got such positive attitudes. And you all know that there's some who are, let's just be honest, lazy. Don't want to work, just want to be paid. Here's a man and he sees a fellow, he's got a really diligent servant. Well, I sure wish I had that servant. His animals. His ox that he plows with, his donkey that he rides. I sure wish I had his donkey. I sure wish he I had his Mustang. I sure wish I had his Cadillac or anything else that your neighbors, anything that belongs to him. And then, of course, I would refer you back to what we studied last week, as we talked about bearing false witness against one's neighbor. And who is my neighbor? was the question that was asked of our Lord. Well, with the time we have left, what I'd like to do now is to break this down and start looking at it from our own perspective. And let's start asking ourselves the question, do we allow ourselves to covet things that we should not be coveting? And can I see an application of this in my life? Well, let me point out, there's many areas where one can see examples of coveting. And what I want to do is sort of use the Lord's outline as he found in Exodus 17. And let's talk about, first of all, coveting property. Let's talk about Joshua chapter 7 and verse 21. If you want to turn there, while you're turning there, I'll give you the background of it. God had led the children of Israel under the leadership of Joshua into the promised land. The first city that they encountered was the city of Jericho, a very powerful, very uh, you know, important city, a walled city. And if you'll remember, God told them that they were to march around the city one time for six days, and on the seventh day they were to march around it seven times, and the walls of that city would fall. But now you may not remember that God gave them instructions by saying, that city is devoted to me, it belongs to me. Just like the first fruits belong to God, this is the first city to be conquered. And God says, you don't take any spoil, you don't take any booty, it's all mine. One fellow didn't listen. You get to chapter 7 and verse 21, they've gone to the city of Ai and they've been defeated. And Joshua is saying, God, what's going on? You know, we conquered Jericho, this little old bitty small town. Why couldn't we conquer? God said, there's sin in the camp. Well, let's look at Achan. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them and there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Do you see the coveting that took place? It was the desire that when Achan was going about Jericho and rather than leaving it for God as he was instructed to do, he said, I want that. I coveted that. That garment, that silver, that gold, I wanted it. doesn't it belong to you. It's not yours, it's God's, but he took it anyway. That's what coveting is. It's that desire for something that belongs to someone else. Oh, how many times could you look throughout the prophets and see what was going on? He said in Micah 2 and verse 2, they coveted the fields and take them by violence, also the houses, and seize them, so they oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. Here's a person who has the ability to go and take something from somebody. And he does. In Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 9, Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. You see, there's some people who have this idea that if I get more and I get more and I get more, that I am somehow not subject to disaster. And Habakkuk says, no, that's not correct. Do you remember in 1 Samuel 15... God had sent Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites. You know what the word utterly destroy means? That means everything. But rather than doing what God told them to do, they brought back the king, they brought back the best of the flocks, they brought back the best of everything that they thought was worth something. But if anything was worthless, that they destroyed. And when Samuel was brought in to rebuke Saul... We all remember about what he says. You know, how come you brought back King Agag and what's the lowing of the oxen that I hear? When you get down to verse 19, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? It's because you looked at what was there and you thought, Hey, it's worth taking. Sometimes in people's minds, this desire for things overwhelms them. Listen to Luke 12, verse 15. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. In the same context, chapter 16, verse 14, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard these things and they derided him. Whenever Jesus talked about don't love things, don't love things, don't love money, and they said, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? But you have to realize also there are people who covet people. Not just possessions, but people. We all know about Job. Job was a good man. Job was a man who loved God and wanted to serve God. And yet Job had a really, really hard time in life. And Job tried to tell his friends how hard he had worked about being innocent and righteous before God. And he said in chapter 31, verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? If I've already made a decision in my mind, I'm not going to lust after a young woman. He said, then why would I look at one? You go to cha- verse 9 of that same chapter. If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door. You know this idea of lurking? Here's someone we would call it today stalking. Here's someone who's watching his neighbor's his wife. He's looking for an opportunity because of the desire that's there in his heart. Matthew 5:28. I say to you that whoever looks on a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 through 20, Solomon uses some rather, in my opinion, graphic language to describe the love between a husband and a wife. And what he says in verse 20 is, For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? Don't look at these other people and desire them. Don't let that because they don't belong to you, nor do you belong to them. Let me point out to you that greed, lust, and coveting can become addictive. This idea that I want something, and I, if I get that, and then I've got to have something else, and I want this, I've got to have, it becomes an obsession. Let me illustrate that to you. Solomon understood that very well. Solomon had more possessions, more people than perhaps anyone before or after him. In Ecclesiastes 5, verses 10 and 11, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? Okay, if you need this much and then you have now acquired this much and it still only takes this much to sustain you in life, what benefit is the rest of that? He said just to see with your eyes. That's the only value it has to you. Chapter 4, verse 8. There's one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, For whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and misfortune. Here's a person who does not have anybody to leave it all to. But what does he do? He keeps working hard. Why? Just to have more. When you come to the New Testament, in the book of 2 Peter, he is warning about people who will, from inside the Lord's church, tempt us, put stumbling blocks in front of us. And he's warning about getting into a habit, getting into a pattern that is self-destructive. Here's the way he puts it. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, they have their hearts trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Notice they have their heart trained in covetous practices. They've allowed themselves to do this over and over and over again to the point where now it seems like that's normal, that's natural. He describes them having eyes full of adultery. That is, they're constantly looking for opportunities. In fact, to the degree now, he says, they cannot cease from sin. Do you believe that you can practice something so long that it gets to the point where you don't even notice it? it doesn't, there's no conscience bothering you anymore? Yes, you can. And when you get to that point, you can't repent because your heart has become so hardened. He says you don't allow yourself to get there. Well, I think there's an important place in this lesson to say, if I think it's maybe creeping into my life, how can I overcome it? What can I do to try to not be a covetous person? Well, the first thing I'd suggest to you is learn not to measure people by their possessions. And I'm going to tell you, in our society and in our country, that's very hard to do. Because we ask the question, what is a man worth? And quite frequently our answer is, that man is worth a lot and we're only thinking about what kind of money he has. But let me point out to you in the Bible, that is not the measure of a man. Going back to Luke twelve fifteen, Jesus said, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. You cannot measure a man and say, he's got this much money in the bank, he's got this many pieces of property, and somehow say that makes him wealthy. I'll give you two illustrations. Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, to the church at Smyrna. He said, I know your works, your tribulation, and poverty... But then parenthetically he says, but you are rich. I have seen poor people who had just enough food for the day, had a smile on their face and joy in their hearts because they knew what things were really worth. And I have seen wealthy people who thought they had everything they needed miserable with this life. Which brings me to chapter 3 in verse 17 and 18, writing to the church at Laodicea. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, poor, blind and naked, I counsel of you to buy of me gold refined by fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. He's saying, you are not looking at things properly. Don't measure people by possessions. Measure people by their spiritual strength. Number two, learn the difference between needs and wants oh, this is something that our country just really struggles with. I sometimes am amazed at what our government does. I'm ceasing to be amazed by it. You know, a few years ago, our government decided that everybody should be able to have a cell phone that wants one. And so for people who may not have any money, who may not choose to work, They were given a cell phone. Now this year, Congress is working on making high-speed Internet a gift to everybody. Because that's a need, you know. I want you to listen to Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness, content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Folks, let me tell you what our real need is. Our real need is for God. Because if you have God, as he said in Matthew 6 and verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, that's the food, the clothing, the shelter, will be added to you. Or listen to the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 6, 6-10. through For godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, we will with these be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and a many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is root of all kinds of evil from which some have strayed from their faith and their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Number three, recognize covetousness for what it is. It is idolatry. Do you know... I'm amazed how that in some of particularly the Asian countries that people will go out and they will bow down to a piece of stone or bow down to a piece of gold I mean when I look at that I'm thinking how ignorant can these people be Do they not recognize that's just that's just a piece of stone that was quarried in some sculptor just made it look real nice and neat or don't they realize that some goldsmith or silversmith shaped or fashioned that so it looks so impressive but it's still just a piece of wood, a piece of metal a piece of stone and yet we will turn and see us commit the same sort of idolatry and covetousness, listen if you will to Ephesians 5 verse 5 for you know this, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and God. You want me to tell you how, what people do? You have gathered here this morning for the purpose of worshiping God, giving Him praise, giving Him glory, giving Him honor. There's some people chose this morning, though, that they would rather worship the fish in the lake. They'd rather worship the ball on the ball field. They'd rather worship something. Oh, you mean that has become their God? Absolutely. They sacrifice to it. They give thousands of dollars to it. Yeah, it's become an idol to them. Deuteronomy seven twenty-five You shall not or you shall burn carved images of their gods with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. He said, Don't allow these things to become idols and snares to you. And let me tell you, as you get to the end of these Ten Commandments, we ought to be thankful to God that He showed us a better way. Because when we look at the commandments of God, including the commandment to not covet, these commandments are all to help us be better, happier, contented people headed to heaven. In Romans 7 and verse 7, Paul said, What shall we say then? Is the law of sin? Certainly not. I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. Oh, you mean I learned something in the law that makes me a better person? Absolutely. Do you mean that if you listen to this lesson and let God's word affect your life, it will make you a happier, more prosperous spiritually person? Absolutely it will if we could get people to change their focus from here to eternity, what a different place this would be. Paul said in Colossians 3 verse 1, If then you were raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on the things on the earth. You can make a choice now. You can say, I know there's other things to attract me in this world, but I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Christian whose treasure is not here on earth, but is in heaven, because I want to devote my life to the Lord. If you believe that Jesus is a Christ, repent of your sins. Confess your name before this audience. Say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you've not done that, we want to encourage you this morning. Everything is ready. We'll pause everything for you. If you are a Christian and you see sin in your life, come home. Come home to God, our Father who loves you and Jesus who died for you. Would you come while we stand in the